Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone seems to hate Time Warner. That, that's the thing that unifies, uh, unifies the people of this city. And... Uh, it's it's going to be a while before we replace Time Warner, but you know, this is there is some hope of that. And how would that happen? Um, well, we, we're only forty nodes. By the by, the time we get to like forty thousand, then then it will be a serious network. Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. I am Jason Kebler, and I'm here with Meg Neal. Hi, I'm a contributing editor at Motherboard. Do you like your internet? Um, it's okay, but I do not like my internet provider, the wow. evil Time Warner cable. Yeah, I have Time Warner as well, and I grew up with Comcast, so I feel like I've kind of experienced the whole like gamut of them. Um, why? Like, Have you had any bad experiences with Time Warner? Honestly, not as bad as a lot of people have, but obviously the customer service is a nightmare. And I think more so it's just on principle, like you only have one option or two options and there are these mega corporations that I don't really feel great about supporting and um, would much rather be able to use like a startup ISP or someone else. But, you know, that's the only thing available. Right, yeah, I have Time Warner as well and it's because... That's all I can have. And I actually used to kind of like it because my roommate used to work for them, and so we got it for free. Uh, but he doesn't work for them anymore, and now it's very, very slow and bad, and uh, it's down a lot. And I think it's interesting that, obviously, like the connection didn't change at all, but our service changed so much. Um, like It was just one day, it was terrible. Mm. And that's the thing that happens now, I guess. So you were getting preferential treatment? I think we were getting like whatever their best service was, yeah. like the highest, you know, download and upload speeds and you know, uptime was pretty good. And then he stopped working there and now we pay for the cheapest one and it's slow. It's very, very slow. Um It's maddening when you rely on the internet for work. It's like not okay. Yeah. But uh so anyways, today our episode is about alternatives to these like monolithic ISPs and Oftentimes it seems hopeless, like we were just talking about kind of like monopoly style broadband. But uh, it turns out that in many communities there are beginning to be alternatives, whether they be startup ISPs or like municipal broadband startups that are run by uh, the government. And there's actually been some really good success stories like in Chattanooga, Tennessee is kind of the one that's always brought up. 
they have gigabit fiber there, which is you know like one gigabit download speed, which is extremely fast. Um, and you know you pay less than you'd pay for a Comcast or something like that, and it's partially owned by the utility company or the municipal government there. Um, and there's kind of examples of this all over the country. Um, and you know Google, Google Fiber is now starting to be an alternative in other places, and you've got startup ISPs in some cities. Um, and here in New York, we are seemingly still stuck with Time Warner, but recently found out that's not quite going to be the case for much longer. So I always thought that a municipal broadband type thing would be impossible in New York, but it turns out that there are three, actually more than that, but we're going to focus on three really cool projects that are either about to happen, have already happened, or are going to happen, hopefully. Um, and luckily, two of them were at this one meetup that Meg and I went to a few weeks ago uh, down in Red Hook, which is a neighborhood in South Brooklyn. So first, we're going to talk to Tony Schloss, who helped set up Red Hook Wi-Fi a few years ago. Um, Red Hook Wi-Fi now has about 500 users at any given time. Um, and Tony is going to talk a little bit more about how it works. Um, unfortunately, he had to run very soon after the meetup, so I had to catch up with him later on a Skype call. So that's why it sounds like he's talking through the internet. Uh, my name is Tony Schloss. I'm the director of technology at the Red Hook Initiative. And we put up a couple nodes uh, in a park and on an apartment building and outside Red Hook Initiative. And we saw people starting to use it, but then also, but then what happened at that moment was Hurricane Sandy. And what occurred sort of through a stroke of luck in the sense that where our access points were, there was power, um, our network stayed up. And so more specifically for public housing residents for the, in the like 10, 14 days recovery after Sandy Arc network was essentially the only communication network in the area. There was, there was spotty in here in other places, but there was no cell network. There's no internet except for ours for the most part for especially for public housing residents. Um, after that we, and after that we saw all of the benefits of the network and we began to expand the network, and we also did that by initiating a training program for young adults so that young adults could be trained in technology and Wi-Fi networking and media production and then could do the installation, maintenance, and promotion of the network and also thereby find themselves a lucrative career in technology. So how did the, the network work initially, like technologically speaking? Mm -hmm. You said you installed two nodes, but what were those nodes connected to? You know, first we had a real challenge thinking how we would provide internet access. We wouldn't, it was sort of against the user agreement to share Verizon or Time Warner across the neighborhood, obviously. So um, initially we developed just a network that was not connected to the internet, and then we did surveys and people were saying, why would you do that? And so then we created a um, partnership with Brooklyn Fiber, which is a local ISP who works just in Red Hook at that time and now in South Brooklyn. And they gave us the bandwidth. And so, um, you know, we were able to sh um, connect nodes across the neighborhood by using directional antennas. And then off of those antennas, we um, had omnidirectional, omnidirectional antennas that shared the signal. Originally, all of that was meshed. And so that would mean that, you know, all of the nodes in the network were seeing each other and also, for the most part, for many of them, sharing the access to users. 
um, we got to a point about a year later when we were at maybe 10 to 12 um, essentially hot spots using about maybe 20 pieces of equipment um, where we were at a scale where the mesh didn't seem to work very well for us. There's a lot of reasons why we were encountering difficulties, including that we weren't network engineers, but um, and that may be in, that may be the most central challenge. But also, it seems to me with net the software and the hardware we were using, it was not capable of meshing and being stable at the same time. How someone views the network, like as a user, like is their speed fast and things like that, like that is one metric. But I actually prefer the metric of you know, our social networks developing through the creation of the network or through the videos we host on the network or for the programs that are developed around the network. So, you know, the real benefit of the network and success, is, again, is, is all the people who've been involved to make it work. And so there's sort of like an old adage that, like, you can't, like, bring a technology and, like, drop it into a community and expect it to be successful. And I think we, we follow that very much to say, like, let's build this ourselves and over time, it will be successful. And, you know, the time that we spent when our mesh network wasn't functioning as stable as I would have liked, you know, the community was able to stick by us because they're like, okay, these are young people who are doing this. They're learning as they go. And so now, you know, three years later, four years later, our service is better and people are still using it, even despite there were some dark days when things weren't working as right. well as we would like. And the other group at the meetup was NYC Mesh. Meg, what's NYC Mesh? NYC Mesh is an initiative similar to Red Hook Wi-Fi to build a mesh network in New York, um, in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, I think is where it is now, that is totally separate from the internet. So mesh network means that you know residents can decide to host a node and then those are all connected so they can communicate with each other and it forms an autonomous network. Um, I think NYC Mesh is still pretty small. There's only 40 nodes or something like that. Um, but I was really interested. Well, first of all, after learning about it, I was like, yeah, I want to host one, definitely. Like, I want to help out with this project. I think um, that's like, yeah, like, I want one too. I mean, why not? Like, why not, yeah. you know? And if everyone, but I think the big thing is it, it has to reach this tipping point where people can actually use this as their main internet. And right now, even the organization stresses, like, this is probably just backup internet. You can't get rid of your Time Warner Cable, you know, yeah. service yet. Um, but hopefully someday that would be rad. Yeah, a cool thing, I think, is that, uh, well, if illegal things are cool, it's not illegal, but um, <laughs> it's against the terms of service uh, of right. Time Warner to, like, host one of these nodes. Um, like Meg was saying, uh, they are autonomous, but um, at least the ones on NYC Mesh eventually connect to the internet. Like if one of the routers is connected to the internet, then you are able to get onto the internet via that router, basically. Um, and right now they're using Time Warner cable, like internet to do that, uh, which I think is cool. It doesn't really work very well because. Uh, Time Warner is slow, and so you need like, or Time Warner is slow when you have fifty people trying to get all on the same network. So uh, they need a, what is called a super node uh, to do this, um, where they are connected directly into 
uh, a larger like internet server. And we're going to talk to Brian Hall, who is an organizer with NYC Mesh, who's going to tell us all about what a supernode is and about his ultimate plan to maybe not take over, uh, you know, take New York back from Time Warner, but at least provide another option um, totally independent of any government whatsoever. Uh, it's a pretty cool project. So here is Brian. I'm Brian Hall. I'm uh, an organizer with NYC Mesh, and uh, we just had a meetup here today with Red Hook to, to uh, see if we could collaborate on some things. We're building a community-owned network uh, using little Wi-Fi routers uh, all across the city. It works as, as its own independent network, and we also have people donating bandwidth, so we have gateways to the internet on, on the mesh. So uh, how many nodes do you have so far? Uh, it's around 41 active nodes at the moment. And how does one go about building a node? Um, the, well, there's a few different kinds of nodes. There's a, just a small one for your apartment, and um, you can just download our software and put it on, onto a little TP-Link router. And... Um, and uh, if you're close enough to another router, it will mesh over the air. And if you're not, you, you have to connect it to the internet and it will mesh through the, through the internet. And uh, you're, you're asking about the other kinds of routers. And there's a, a, an outdoor router you can put on your roof, which will um, connect to other rooftops. Uh, it's a lot of work to coordinate it all because we, we've got to find two rooftops that can see each other or, or close enough to connect. So it's... Uh, it, it takes a few weeks of emailing backwards and forwards and, and finding a day when everyone's available so we can go on both rooftops and uh, you've got to move the routers around until you get a, a strong signal and m make sure it connects properly and uh, yeah in the last last couple of weeks we've done 10 rooftops so we've been busy <laughs> two weeks ago um, Jonathan um, decided he want what Oh, we went to, into his backyard. We were initially going to put it on an old telegraph pole, um, the router, but we couldn't figure out how to get up the telegraph pole. So Jonathan came up with the idea of putting it in the tree. And he, he, so he climbed all the way up this tree. It was, it was so far up. Like, uh, I couldn't believe how high he climbed. And uh, So there's now a, a router at the top of a tree in um, Park Slope. You were talking earlier during the meetup about this plan to build a super node. Um, what is a super node, and how did how would that work, and what would that mean for the network? I guess uh, that, that that would be connecting us directly to the the backbone of the internet. We've met a lot of helpful people in in high places that are willing to donate bandwidth and, and give us very cheap um, space on a couple of um, internet exchange places in uh, downtown Manhattan. It's quite exciting because we'll get really, really cheap uh, internet and we can broadcast it to, uh, to, to Brooklyn and to downtown Manhattan. So when that goes online, would I use, say, my laptop to connect directly to the super node or I would still have to connect to one of the smaller net, like nodes? Um, no, you would have to get like a, a $95 router and aim it, aim it at the building. Right. And uh, yeah, the... The laptop might be able to receive the signal, but it's not strong enough to talk back to it, so you need a router to... So you would, in effect, be becoming your own internet service provider? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a community, though. We're, we're providing to ourselves. Right. 
and it, you know everyone owns a router, so you're part of the part of the um, network. So, what would the long-term plan be if you are able to set up this super node? Like, would anyone who lives with like near another node be able to buy you know a ninety-five dollar router and then have free internet, or would you have to charge some sort of like maintenance fee, or how how do you foresee that working? Yeah, I think eventually we're, we're going to have to charge a minimal fee just to maintain the the tower and and pay. You have to pay for for renting space on the rooftops, and uh, so there's going to be fees. But I'm hoping, you know, like maybe ten dollars a month or something. Uh, not 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 a Verizon one hundred and ten dollars for your FiOS kind of charge. Okay, so Red Hook Wi-Fi and NYC Mesh are kind of like the uh, small guys, the community leaders and stuff. And then there's actually a brand new entrant into this like free, fast Wi-Fi for everyone world, and they are called Link NYC. Um, and have you heard of them at all, Meg? No, I'm not really familiar. So their plan is to basically replace every single payphone with a Wi-Fi hotspot, which is cool, but I think I'm going to miss the payphones, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the payphones are classic. They said that they're going to save three payphones in the entire city. Oh, my God. Like old Superman payphones, which I don't think... What are the Superman payphones? This is a Superman payphone. Oh, is that where Superman, like, changes into Superman? Oh, Clark shit. Kent, rather, becomes Superman? It must be. This is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> but so anyways, uh, they're going to replace them, and they actually kind of look like phone booths, or rather they're designed to look like phone booths, um, and they are nine feet tall, and they have giant screens on both sides um, and a Wi-Fi hotspot somewhere in there. Um, and they actually have a tab, like an Android tablet and uh, some, like a dialer. So through Vonage, of course, like some corporate entity, you're able to make calls from it. So they will still be payphones, uh, but they will also offer gigabit fiber internet um, Wi-Fi, like wirelessly to 7,500 places all throughout the city. Um, and when I heard this, I thought it was such a good idea and I thought that it would never, ever, ever happen because these things never seem to actually happen. But it turns out the first two are actually already installed and they're going to open up soon and hopefully we can try them out. Um, but I, I, are you? Do you think that this will work? It'll be interesting to see. It would obviously be awesome to have public Wi-Fi all over the city, but I imagine there's a lot of red tape before you know we get to the thirty thousand, seven thousand five hundred, seven thousand. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 7,500. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that they're kind of learning from the mistakes of everyone uh, before them, or that's what it seems like, at least. They say to all the right things. Um, but, and we'll hear some of those things in a moment. 
But uh, in, at the end of the day, this is a corporate entity, basically. Um, it is called, it's, it's owned and operated by a company called City Bridge, and they basically want to contract from the city of New York for $200 million. So uh, New York City gave them $200 million to uh, do this, and they will take profit from it, and New York City gets half of the revenue. So the plan is New York City will make a ton of money um, and like in the long run, and so will this company. So uh, how is this fiber internet? I thought New York didn't really have a large fiber infrastructure. It was so expensive, you know, to, to lay the fiber down. Yeah, I thought that as well. And it that's kind of like the beauty of it is that it's in uh, payphones because payphones are wired. And so they basically wired the city, um, or they're going to wire the city um, from a couple data centers uh, in and around New York. So basically there's like a fiber backbone to the internet uh, near New York City, and they're taking fiber from there, and they're wiring it to these payphones. And it's apparently not that hard to do if you're only doing a couple, like you know, you're doing a payphone here, a payphone there, a payphone here, a payphone there. You're not doing every single house, every single apartment, um, because I guess that last mile is every. Well, in New York, it's not last mile; it's every like last twenty feet. Last foot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I imagine that's the bulk of the co- you know where the two hundred million is going. Yeah, that's where it's going, um, and. Uh, these payphones look, or I guess I'll call them payphones, nodes. They're called links, technically, of course. But uh, they look like payphones, and they are supposedly uh, graffiti-resistant and vandalism-resistant. Um, How? I don't know if they're graffiti-resistant. <laughs> <laughs> they have a force field. A force field, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah, um, no, they have a scratch-proof glass, is what I was told. Hmm. I don't know. It looked like I could have scratched it if I had like a scratchy thing. Clearly, we're going to try to scratch it as soon as. Yeah, that's our first the next story. motherboard story. Yeah, um, but does it concern you that like a free Wi-Fi project is expected to generate like upwards of billions of dollars for the city? Where is that coming from? That's a good question, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's coming from advertisers, and uh, I suppose there's a like slippery slope there because uh, at first they're going to start with display ads on both sides of the payphone. So basically, um, this payphone has two giant screens on each side, and at first it'll probably show ads for like new Netflix shows or something. Uh, but then if it sees that a lot of people close by are searching for like Starbucks or coffee or something, it will take that data and it will show an ad for Starbucks or say like there's a Starbucks nearby. Um, yeah, that definitely gets pretty dystopic pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, what are the protections of this public Wi-Fi? How much of the data of the people who are using it can they see? You know, there's a lot of questions. Yeah, and and to to be fair, they are uh, saying the right things right now. They say that uh, they're only going to use aggregated data, meaning if a lot of people are searching for something, then they'll show that. But if it's like, oh, only I am searching for an ice skating rink, an ad for an ice skating rink won't show up. Um, 
in theory. That's what they say. Uh, but as you know, you're writing a story about this now. Like privacy policies change all the time, and um, in the long run, there's probably a lot of uh, opportunity to use kind of like personal data for targeted ads and location, like activated ads and that sort of thing. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens, but I, I'm excited mostly. Yeah, definitely. I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy, about this project. <laughs> it would it definitely, you know, it's not, it would be a great thing to have. As we just mentioned, Link NYC is a brand new $200 million program, and it's going to start unrolling over the next few weeks. I got the chance to visit their headquarters the other day to see what they're all about. First, we'll talk to Colin O'Donnell, who's helping City Bridge set up the network. And then we're going to talk to Stanley Shore, who works in the Department of Information Technology for the New York City government, about why they went with City Bridge. Hi, I'm Stanley Shore. I'm the Assistant Commissioner for Franchise Administration at the Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications. So I've seen uh, public Wi-Fi in other cities and, you know, it's of varying quality and speed and that sort of thing. And obviously New York City is a whole different beast when it comes to this. So what were you looking for when you were kind of deciding um, what you wanted with the project and who would ultimately do the project? Okay, so what we did a, a planning process to see what we could um, do with the payphones. Uh, we had these contracts that were expiring October of 2014. Uh, during the last few years of the contract, we were actively looking at uh, what we had out there and what were the possibilities. Uh, we knew from um, 10 years uh, ago, uh, approximately, Verizon had tried Wi-Fi on the payphones and it actually worked, but they abandoned it because of their business model. Uh, but. Uh, we knew also that people around the city were looking, why can't the city provide free Wi-Fi? And uh, because of issues with funding anything new, uh, we realized that there was no strong interest um, by the budget office in funding something out of the city's budget. But we knew that franchises, which are granted to private companies for the use of the city streets, for providing services and also making a profit, that this was a vehicle that could be used. So instead of just having uh, advertising paying for payphones, uh, we, we felt that there was enough value in the advertising that we could pay for more than payphones. Uh, and uh, we really wanted to have the free Wi-Fi available to the people of the city. What is the current situation of broadband at home in the city, and could this be a viable alternative for people who don't have any sort of connection? Well, I think that it, people are already using their smartphones as the alternative to having a connection in the home. You'll have the, the, uh, the low-income worker who's working long hours and is connecting to their family through their smartphone. Uh, we've, we studies show that it's very high uptake by minorities, uh, low-income minorities in the city. And if this is the, the way they're connecting and they choose to connect, then I think, uh, and it's not just the people of low-income, I, I, you know, the, the smartphone, iPhone is so much more convenient. I, I'll be at home with my computer within feet away, but I'll take out my smartphone to access the internet just because it's so convenient. So this is now saying to these people that 
may be spending more than they want to on a data plan that you don't have to spend money on. You get the smallest data plan that that you can get because you can connect with the uh, uh, the links. So if this works out, what do you envision, say, like Union Square looking like in the future? Or, you know, what do you imagine these various Wi-Fi hotspots looking like? Do you, I mean, do you think people are going to be doing their homework there and, you know, researching things? Or can you... Yeah. People are going to continue to do what they do now, uh, but they'll have more convenience. But, you know, they may change their routine somewhat during the early build-out when the links are not everywhere. But once they're everywhere, people will just be free to do what they want to do and go where they want to go and have uh, ubiquitous uh, high-speed free Wi-Fi. And that's the, the ultimate concept is that the city of New York will be uh, this great oasis of free Wi-Fi. All right, I'm here with Colin O'Donnell and I'm standing underneath a giant screen um, type thing. Colin, what is this? Uh, this is a link. It's part of the Link NYC network, and we're deploying these all across New York City. And they kind of look like payphones, but basically they are going to replace every single. Not is it every single payphone in the city, or seven thousand five hundred payphones in the city? Um, we're replacing all payphones, but three old Superman payphones are going to stay up on the West End Avenue. Um, but yeah, it's it's like a payphone in that you can um, talk to anyone on it. You can walk up to it, and it's got a a 10-inch tablet uh, that you can uh, access um, Vonage, make a phone call. You can get on the web, do anything you want on the web, uh, access a map or hit a 911 button and call the police if you want. Uh, you can even charge your cell phone on it. And uh, on the two other sides of it, on the, on the wide, so it's about 36 inches uh, deep and about 11 inches wide and about nine and a half feet tall. And so it has two 55-inch screens that are back-to-back that face up and down the, uh, the sidewalk. And so in addition to, um, to making phone calls and stuff like that, it's, it's generating a ton of advertising revenue from these screens on the side. But I guess most importantly to this conversation is that it has a uh, Wi-Fi router at the top that's directly connected to a fiber network. And it's um, providing the fastest... Um, Wi-Fi that we could possibly put out there. So it's we're, we're hitting gigabit speeds on Wi-Fi, which is pretty incredible. Right, yeah. Um, I've used public internet in a lot of other cities or like airports and things like that, and it never seems to work very well, but it seems like you have kind of cracked the problem of like login pages and that sort of thing um, that frustrate like the average user, I guess. So um, what's so, like what sorts of problems were you trying to solve here? Uh, so there's um, a real issue with internet access, um, even if you're not in an airport, but just in New York City, one out of four people doesn't have access to uh, what's considered broadband speed internet. And so that's really limiting if you're trying to um, I don't know, watch a movie, use, um, use an application like uh, Instagram, or if you're, if you're actually trying to do something for work, or educational, trying to watch Khan Academy, it's really um, it's really a challenge. The problems that we solved are really um, the speed of the network, the uh, the task of getting on the network, the caps that typically are imposed on you, whether they're data caps or time limits, 
and you know, sort of having a, a bad browsing experience that's interrupted by ads. So, um, you know, free Wi-Fi is typically slow. If it's in an airport, you got a bunch of pre-rolls or you have to log on a bunch of times. So we've solved those problems by bringing a dedicated fiber network to each location. Uh, once you log on the first time, you never have to log on again. So you're always connected. Um, it's also ubiquitous across the city. So it's not like you have to join one network and then one coffee shop and go join another network and another coffee shop. Once you join, you'll be able to go anywhere in the city and be on, on the, uh, the Wi-Fi network as long as you're within range of a link. And then lastly, we, we don't kind of shower you with ads on the, the browsing experience. Once you're logged in, there's no interruptions. It's just like you're on your home network or, uh, and, and just go ahead and use the internet as you would. So these are gigabit hotspots, which is kind of like the gold standard at this point. Um, I think in my house I have Time Warner and I get like six megabits a second on a good day. So um, how are you able to get such fast speeds and what has the fiber build out been like? Because I know that's kind of a, a huge deal in cities to like get the fiber actually there. Yeah, so it's it's not an easy process. It's a very manual process of pulling essentially glass rope through the streets of New York City. Uh, we'll probably bring 500 miles of fiber throughout the streets. That's like driving from New York to Boston and back, pulling a piece of fiber, except you're threading it through the streets of New York City. So it's incredibly labor intensive, but uh, we've got a long franchise from the city. So we've got 12 years to make back our investment. And in the end, it's going to be cheaper to do it ourselves than to just lease fiber from an existing uh, uh, vendor out there. So we're bringing this virgin fiber network out there. We're hooking it up to the internet at really at terabit speeds at the head end. So it's incredibly fast. And once you start dealing at scale, you're you're really paying wholesale costs and it becomes much cheaper as a provider. So it would be harder to do this at a smaller scale, but at a, a, you know, at a large scale, we've got the funding, we've got the um, advertising to really recoup the investment. And it's, it's, um, it's going to be a, a really exciting project. Yeah, so what does the rollout look like? Uh, you told me a little bit earlier, but it looks like two are already up and then you're going to go straight up 3rd Ave and you were saying like 10 a day for a while. Yeah, so we'll, we can, um, at peak, we'll roll out 20 a day even and this is going to, um, we're going to go in a couple different directions. So everything starts in Manhattan at our two main data centers. We roll up 3rd uh, Avenue, we're going to go up 8th Avenue, we're going to race up Manhattan into the Bronx We'll be in the South Bronx in the first quarter. Uh, we're going to be rolling out into Brooklyn and Queens, and so we'll build a big trunk out into Brooklyn and Queens, and we'll hit some of the, the main commercial districts uh, on the way out there, and then we're going to branch off of that. We'll be in Staten Island um, before the summer. And so it's going to happen pretty quickly. We're going to deploy these in what we call Wi-Fi corridors, so you'll have a nice continuous browsing experience, and you can go link to link, and it's also... Uh, kind of an economical way to roll it out rather than doing one here or one there. You roll out a string of them. And uh, and so this will be built string by string of, you know, 10 links at a time. And we're going to kind of uh, continue to build that until we've hit all 7,500. We're going to look at how we can do more as well. Do you foresee people using this instead of their home Wi-Fi or like ditching Time Warner, for instance, and should you know, the kind of incumbent ISPs be worried? It's not intended to replace your home internet connection, but as we're doing a lot of testing, um, 
in the streets, we're seeing uh, a lot of penetration into you know, retail, first floor retail. We're seeing um, distances, broadband at distances of up to like 400 feet of clear air. Um, so in kind of best circumstances, you're seeing a really uh, broad reach. But um, I think, look, when, when we're doing testing in the streets and you're looking at other SSIDs that are p- presumably in people's apartments or businesses and they're named things like um, I hate Time Warner 2 is the name of your SSID, I think Time Warner should really step up their game and provide a better service. And we're not out to, um, to uh, compete with Time Warner in any way, but I think that... Uh, there's a st- we'd like to set a new standard for customer service, for speed, for experience, for, um, for really being the best possible service you can get, the best internet experience, and really the fastest internet experience you've ever had. So I think hopefully it will set a new standard and, and people will actually love this service provider. So yeah, it's not all hopeless. Uh, I think you can tell that there are some very cool ideas coming uh, we'll see how they kind of roll out as they're all sort of just getting started or are relatively small. Uh, but it's exciting that there's at least some options coming our way, I guess. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening to Radio Motherboard. And Adrian Jeffries will be back with an episode next week. 